Hey guys, gals, we, the, they, them, whatever makes you feel sexy. Your girl B here, back at it with another episode of Strip It Down. Um, At the club, I have a saying, you get 0% of what you don't ask for. And it's really true. But how can we demand our worth and still keep our clients? As any business owner or an employee knows, it can be difficult to establish a value and get comfortable asking for it. That's what we'll explore today, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and claiming what you deserve, overcoming the fear of loss from the demand of more. We'll also talk about the power of no and how setting personal boundaries can help us understand other people's boundaries better. So let's strap up and strip it down. So today's episode is kind of a philosophical one, I guess. I was inspired by some recent events that have happened in my own life and some of the people close to me. So your girl here is, I guess, just getting a little too old to work that pole because I tore my rotator cuff at work the other night and I've had to lay off the stage for a few weeks, which really hurts my stripper soul because I really do love to perform and it's also a main way that I make a lot of my money. So I've been forced to get a little bit more creative and kind of fine tune my floor skills that had gotten a little bit rusty. And in doing so, it got me thinking about rejection and how hard it can be to ask for what we want and also how hard it is to hear no when we do want something. So my broke ass got to thinking and here we are. Uh, But first, by request, let's have a little fun with some things you didn't know about strippers. Okay, some fun facts you didn't know about strippers. 60% have a day job. Uh, Your girl here included. That's not surprising because dancing can be very unstable and very taboo. So day jobs are helpful for that. Speaking of which, all you horny boys out there with your bad for teacher fantasies can go ahead and keep on having them. Because as it turns out, teaching is the most common day job of strippers. With over 14% of dancers with day jobs working as a teacher. One in ten dancers are married, like me. Because we're people. (laughs) Um, According to a recent survey, 86.3% of people think stripping is a legitimate form of work. Which makes sense, because it is. Uh, I'm actually surprised and delighted that that number is so high. However, 8% think it's prostitution. Which is embarrassing and predictable. Female strippers outnumber men 9 to 1. Only 1 in 5 female dancers have ever dated a customer, whereas 3 out of 4 male dancers have. See, ladies, uh, your boyfriends are safe, unless they are gay, and in which case you might have bigger problems. One of the most common reasons given for becoming a stripper is wanting to dance professionally, which is interesting. Um, I didn't know that. Eight out of nine strippers would recommend stripping to a friend, which makes sense. It's independence and financial literacy. For years, Canada had a stripper shortage, and for a while, Canadian strip clubs found ways to give foreign women visas in order to relocate to Canada to fill that void. Well, pitter-patter, everybody. A study by Leeds University has shown that most strippers come from middle-class families. That makes sense. Um, You know it's not always the destitute that need money. Everybody does. This one's interesting because I was asked on Instagram what girls do on their periods. Um, you know, do they work or do they not? And the answer is yes, um, we do work. Usually we just snip the string off of the tampon and you know, kind of tuck it in there. Of course, we've got to fish that out later, which can be quite tricky and just as gross as it sounds. 
But some girls swear by it. They think that their hormones are stronger and it helps them make more money. Well, as it turns out, a study by Leeds University found that stripping make, strippers make the most money while they're ovulating. So I guess there is some truth to that. So uh, woohoo for science. Only one in eight strippers receive any kind of health benefits through their job. This is extremely predictable. Um, we are 1099 self-employed employees, and so we do not generally receive any kind of health benefits. The median age of a stripper is 24 years old. So see, you guys, I told you, um, there are a ton of young girls in the club, and they get younger every day, and I get older every day. And according to the same study by Leeds University, three out of four strippers were satisfied with their jobs. So on a scale of 0 to 10, 75% of the girls rated their job satisfaction between a 7 and a 10. So that is an interesting fact. How satisfied are you with your job? We're diving in on episode two. If you don't A-S-K, you won't G-E-T. And that's how the saying goes. But what is it about rejection that is just so hard for us to deal with? Some people are just blessed with the ability to just say exactly what's on their mind. And they don't worry about the repercussions. Some are so secure in themselves that they don't care what the answer is. They don't care what people think or if they're going to get their way or not. You know, they'll figure it out. At least they seem to have it all together. Whether that's true or not, we may never know. But the fact is that the vast majority of us, myself very strongly included in that, really struggle with rejection. It's not even the actual rejection that's so horrifying. It's the buildup to it, right? You know, the obsessing, the anxiety, the compulsively working out all the ways it could pan out for the good or for the bad. The expectation of the rejection is really what's so hard, but we all just can't stop doing it. I know at the club this is one of the most discussed topics that any of us dancers kind of harp about on a daily basis. It falls into that whole customers being jerks category, I guess. But we're constantly talking about how hard it can be to go up to guys cold turkey and just kind of put yourself out there, not really knowing what's going to happen. And there's this whole new level of intimacy to it because we feel like rejection in the club is just so personal. We're not selling vacuums here. We're selling ourselves. And being told that it's just not good enough is, is really rough. And it can be hard to remain objective and remind ourselves that at the end of the day, we're really not selling ourselves. We're selling our service. And it might just not be what they were looking for. But sometimes that's easier said than done. It happens all the time. But the other day, I came across another little defeated baby stripper in the dressing room crying, or let's be honest, more like cussing, (laughs) about how she'd asked everyone in the club and everyone said no. You know, the guy was a real jerk about it, you know, or, you know, why nothing was good enough, why she wasn't good enough, no matter what she did, if she had just lost five pounds or if she had just done this etc etc but you know while sometimes the customers are just over the top rude or unnecessary it's often not the situation it can be really hard to not internalize the rejection at that point and start to tear ourselves down trying to figure out why we weren't good enough but I always pull out the same tired analogy that seems to kind of put things into perspective I even have to use it on myself I tell myself you know let's say you want to buy a car you've done your research you know your budget you know the features you want color everything and you know you want a bmw you go to the dealership and you're scoping out the selection of cars and then the salesman comes up to you and he just starts pushing the lexus it doesn't matter how great of a salesman he is or how beautiful the lexus is or what features it has or what it's on sale it's just not what you want it's not what you came for it's not what you were interested in 
Does that mean that the BMW is better? Not necessarily. Does it mean that no one else will want the Lexus? No. It's just not what you came in there for. But the next person that walks in might have been looking for that exact car. You just have to remember that even though it feels personal, sometimes it's not. And it got me thinking about how there's just a lot of situations like that in life. You know, take for instance, if you want to ask your boss for a raise, you think about it, you kind of list out the pros and the cons in your mind, you know, well, you think you know that you deserve it, but you start to panic and you start to think of all the ways it could go wrong, how weird it'll be if he says no, or even if he says yes, but then hopefully eventually you come around to it and you find the courage to really pull the trigger and ask him and he does in fact say no. So now you're embarrassed, you're angry, you're like, what the hell? And then you start to tear into yourself, start to tear yourself down, or them, you know, talking about how bad they are, just trying to justify the answer in your head instead of just accepting it. All right, now in just a minute, I'm going to go over a few ways we can get better at asking for what we want and actually get it. But first, I think the best way to solve this dilemma is to work backwards and start with the power of the word no. No has always been a very distant notion to me. I've been a people pleaser my entire life, and for the most part, I actually enjoy it. If there's something that I can do to make somebody happy or help them, then I genuinely want to do that. The problem comes in when it's not that easy, when I'm overextended or my boundaries are pushed, and I'm faced with the crushing feeling of having to potentially tell somebody no. I hate confrontation. Like, it will make me physically sick to my stomach. But why do I and so many of us feel like no is so confrontational? Does it have to be? I mean, I don't think it has to be. By setting boundaries and limits, we're not being mean or unfair or selfish. We're just like taking care of ourselves in our best interests, you know, and that will in turn make our lives better and help us to serve those that matter to us. You know, my mom always used to say, you can't pour from an empty cup. And this is an ideology that I struggle with daily. I just want to give and give and give. And when I can't, for whatever reason, I just, I feel like a traitor. I feel just like the worst person. And that sucks. And it's super wrong. But ironically, the club has helped me a lot with this, you know, by helping me learn how to say no. It taught me that I can set boundaries and stick to it and that the world's not going to end because of it. You know, nothing's going to happen. Even if that other person got upset or angry at me, as long as I knew that I did what was best for me, then why should I feel bad? You know, I learned that you're allowed to have limits and anybody that pushes those limits is the bad person, not you. The club taught me it was safe to say no. I had to learn how to, you know, that I was worth what I said I was worth and not what anyone else said that I was worth. Customers feel entitled all the time, like they should get to do whatever they want. But, you know, I like to think of it like I'm a piece of art in a museum. I'm there to be admired, to inspire thoughts and emotions, but I'm not there for you to touch me or possess me or violate me. They see us as these abstract objects that only exist in this fantasy world that they've created, and, like, we don't have any rights of our own. What in the world would give them that idea? Why would that make any sense? Just because you're paying me, but you're paying us? Okay, well, you pay your dry cleaner too, right? but does that give you possession over them if they're really nice to you and you see them every week and you give them money to wash your clothes every week do you get offended when they don't start doing it for free or they don't want to come to your house to do it for free no <laughs> so why is it any different when dancers don't you know because it's taboo because you guys think you can get away with it everyone that works in the service industry struggles with this and has to deal with it the fact of you just having to try to be nice for your job gets misinterpreted and it's extremely frustrating. Um, and I'll discuss this a little bit more in one of my attachment episodes. But 
I would have customer after customer, and I still do, that I would establish these rules and these boundaries with, and they would just push and push, and then they would get angry and resentful or even aggressive when I refused to alter them. It's even harder because I'm a woman, and in our society, we're supposed to be soft and agreeable and not rock the boat, but come on, I mean, that's just not the case anymore, and it doesn't suit anybody. At first, it's hard. It's really hard when you feel like if you aren't nice, you're not going to make any money, and if you don't make them happy, that you're going to get in trouble, but then I started to realize that I was the one with the power here, not them, you know? Like, what were they going to do? They're going to go cry to the bouncer that I refused to give them a blowjob? Oh, okay, well, go ahead and see how far that gets you. You're not going to give me any more money? Bye, boy. You know, there are 10 other people behind you that I can try, at least, and they might respect me more than you. So, you see, every time that I stood up for myself and the world didn't stop, I got a little bit more confident and a little bit more assertive. And I still have a really long way to go for sure, but I definitely credit the club with helping me find that independence and that power that I didn't know I had. I spent a lot of my younger years in very controlling and very unhealthy relationships where I was conditioned to behave in a certain way, and I knew that the one thing I definitely couldn't do was say no. If I did, there was going to be repercussions. I would be punished. I would end up more miserable than if I had just done whatever the thing was in the first place that I had been asked to do. And that's where I was for a long time, living my entire life in that kind of fight or flight state, this fear and and anxiety. It was super miserable and super unhealthy for me. I mean, did you know that fear is literally bad for your health? Living in a constant state of fear over time, it increases your blood pressure and your heart rate. You know, your body's trying to compensate for the additional adrenaline that you're producing in some way. It affects your hormones. It, it decreases your immune system. You can literally worry yourself sick. And that's what I was doing. And that's what a lot of us do all the time. And I still do it on a lot of the time. Um, but, you know, as I was learning how to say no and to stick to it and to not fear the reactions, I began to relax and know that things would be okay no matter what. You know, my husband helped me a lot with this too because when we first got together, it was the first time in my life where I felt like I could say how I felt and what I wanted without it being held over my head or taken the wrong way or used as leverage against me later. You know, he really showed me that people do care and respect you and if they do that, that they'll allow you to have your own needs and your own desires and they're not going to punish you for them. But the point of this whole rant is that I think that learning to harness the power of the word no is the first step in learning how to accept your own rejections. If we know why we say no, then we can begin to understand why other people do. And and we can begin to gain perspective into people's motivations because if we understand our own, the more we know about ourselves, the better we know other people. By realizing that sometimes we say no because we need to, we can forgive those that have to do the same and we maybe won't harbor so much resentment or self-loathing because of it. For instance, whereas before when a customer was like no to me or was rude or whatever, I would get upset. You know, I get really insecure and I start thinking about all the reasons why he didn't want me or what a jerk he was for turning me down. But now that I know how to refuse something on my own and what my motivations are for doing it, it just doesn't feel so much like that anymore. You know, I know that when I turn people down, my motivation isn't to be an asshole or to hurt their feelings or anything like that. It just is what it is. So I try to translate that to other people and know that it's probably the same for them. So I just shouldn't take it so personally. Now, that's not to say that people should get a free pass to be an asshole, because unfortunately, some guys do get off on hurting a dancer's feelings and making her feel small or undesirable or belittled or whatever. It's some kind of like sick, sadistic, misogynistic fantasy to over your power. 
but that's special circumstances and that has to be handled as such. You know, I prefer putting a, a well-placed <laughs> demasculating quip and a quick turn of my heels in the other direction because, you know, fuck that guy. But a small little PSA for customers out there who actually are trying to not be an asshole. If a girl approaches you and you're just not interested, don't beat around the bush and don't make excuses like maybe later or let me get a drink first, etc., etc., you know, if that's not the truth. Because if she comes back later based off of your answer, it's going to be twice as awkward for both of you when you still don't want to dance and now you've just wasted everyone's time even more. So just be upfront and be honest, but be polite. If you're not interested, then just say so. Just say thank you for the offer, but I'm good right now. You know, or if you're waiting for someone else, just say that. Honesty and directness are extremely respected and extremely valuable in the club. Time is money. And if you respect mine, then I'm going to appreciate yours. Many times I've had guys be like, hey, look, you know, I'd be happy to buy you a drink and you're welcome to come over and hang out if you want or if you get bored, but I'm just probably not going to be getting dances tonight. And because of that act of respect, I actually do end up hanging out for a little while or come back later because they treat me like a person and they respected my time and they set clear expectations. This is actually usually how most of us end up with, like, you know, that guy as our friend at the club. And you know what guy I'm talking about, especially if you've ever been to a club. He's, he's that guy that's sitting there and he's got four or five girls all around him and they're all giggling and they all seem, seem to be like genuinely enjoying themselves. And they're having a good time and they're blowing off other guys to sit with this guy, even though it doesn't really appear like he's spending that much money. Aside from maybe buying girls drinks or food or, you know, tipping them periodically on stage you know, or whatever, but he has established himself as someone that they can trust and someone that's going to treat them well. These are not regulars. I call these guys home base. They're someone that you know you can go hang out with for a bit if you need a break or that they'll kind of rescue you if you're getting harassed by somebody. Uh, A good place to regroup and just kind of get your brain back together if you need it. And it's all because they've always respected you and your time and they've treated you well and you actually really enjoy their company. You know, I've got a few of these people that I know, and I consider them my friends. You know, I've even invited one or two to my wedding. So it does happen, and it does exist, and that's why. So if you're a customer, don't be afraid to just tell the truth. But remember to be kind. If you think a girl's hideous, don't say that. Just say no thank you. A no doesn't need an explanation. As long as it's polite and it's reasonable, then it's fine. You know, if she pushes back and she demands explanation then she's the one that's really betraying your boundary and you have a right to be more forceful with it at that point but always start you know with erring on the side of caution and start with being polite and direct and you'll be surprised how much further that can get you in all situations especially at the club I've been told to my face more than once I was old, fat, short, my boobs are too small, my boobs are too big, you name it. And, you know, there's no shortage of men who are either drunk or just assholes or whatever, you know, and they're going to come right out with their rejections. But you don't have to take that, you know, personally. You can take it in stride and you can move on. But any customers that do care, just be nice and be honest and everything will be fine. But anyway, um, back to how we can all get better at taking rejection. So the most important thing that we can do to ask for what we want is to actually know what we want, right? You know, we need to have a clear and focused idea of exactly what it is that we're asking for. Do you want to get a dance from that guy? Do you want a VIP room, a drink? Do you want a promotion at work? Do you want for that girl to go on a date with you? Whatever the desire is, make sure that you know exactly what you want the outcome to be. Or else your intentions may be misread or you might not be delivering them concisely enough to be understood. 
So next we need to make sure that everything we do supports that actually happening. We need to act, speak, dress, everything. Like the thing that we want has already happened or is sure to happen. When we work ourselves up with all the what ifs and the negatives, we're really allowing that space to creep in that it might not happen. And we're thinking of all the reasons why it might not and our body's going to subconsciously respond that way. And we don't want that. We want to come across confident because we already know what we want, right? And we know that our request is fair and it's reasonable. <laughs> so this also includes making sure that we're prepared to receive whatever it is that we're asking for. For instance, if, if you want a promotion, but that position requires different hours, then you need to make sure that you already know that you can do that before you ask because being prepared and feeling qualified will help with your confidence and it'll help support your case as to why you should have the thing that you want so then of course we need to actually ask right the most important thing <laughs> we need to remember that people cannot read minds we, we cannot just soak around passive aggressively dropping hints and signs and talking out loud in circles about something hoping that the other person's going to notice and we especially cannot do this and then get mad when they don't so the theory of the diffusion of responsibility states that people are less likely to take responsibility and do something if others are present. There's a sense that someone else will surely step up and they'll take the lead. So without the ask, the need remains unmet. Men are notorious for doing this and women are notorious for losing our shit over it. <laughs> we think that because we see the dishes piling up in the sink and we're just so busy with a million other things that our husbands are just going to see us struggling and see that and take it upon themselves to offer a hand. But that's just not usually the case. It doesn't necessarily mean that he sees it and just doesn't care. He's most likely ob oblivious <laughs> or operating under that diffusion of responsibility theory. But either way, you know, we, we just need to confidently and directly approach him and say, hey, you know, I've really got my hands full here. Can you please do the dishes for me? I would really appreciate that. And we're just we're sure to have better luck. Now, I can't guarantee you that it'll happen. I can't fix your marriage problems and say that he's going to be helpful. You know, sometimes people just suck and they're just not helpful. But the point is, is that we have to give the direct opportunity to for them to deny us before we can assume that they already have. So that can be hard because it's usually pretty easy to just assume that someone doesn't care at all. Um, but we have to remember to give them that opportunity before we make that decision. Because if we haven't asked, then we don't know. But um, almost as important as simply pulling the trigger and actually asking is to remember to not be too attached to the outcome. So this goes tenfold for dancers. You know, you got to learn to not put too much pressure on the outcome of the ask and you won't be too devastated if it doesn't go your way. You'll simply move on to the next or like next person or next option or find another way. Sometimes no's are doors. We can do all the preparation that we want. We can ask for what we want and we can still get denied. But instead of letting it crush us and dampen our resolve, we've got to take that and see what kind of lesson there is to be learned there. Maybe a customer turned you down for a dance. Okay, that sucks. But now you know to scratch them off your list. You don't have to waste your time. You don't have to stand across the bar all night debating on if you should go over there or not because it's already done. It's already over with. You're on to bigger and better things. Or maybe your boss didn't give you that raise that you know with all your heart that you're qualified for and that you deserve. Okay, well, that just tells you that you're not going to be appreciated and that maybe it's time to start looking for something else. So while it's not always the ideal outcome, it's still helpful. Now, you don't have to sit around another two years hoping your boss will see your value uh, because you just because you asked. But because you face that rejection, you have clarity and direction. And that's just as valuable sometimes as getting your own way. So sometimes it's hard to ask because you don't want to seem needy, right? Or unhumble. But what's the difference between 
trying to be thankful and underappreciating yourself. There's a line between being grateful and making sure others are grateful for you. And my favorite way to practice asking for what we want is during sex, you know, like bounce, <laughs> now y'all already know I'm a pervert I, I think I warned you guys in episode one I make no excuses I love sex I think it's the best thing ever I think it's better than any drug or any material item or like anything ever uh, you know there's no better gift that you can give to your partner or whatever than your vulnerability and there's no greater honor than another person can give than doing the same for you but now I know that unfortunately in today's society sex has been cheapened down a lot to the point where it doesn't always seem that way but I'm really hopeful that that might come back and people might learn to find that connection again and really appreciate that the value there um, but you never know so we'll see and I know some of you are probably rolling your eyes and you're like, wait, you know, you're over here talking about how secret sex is, but yet you're a stripper. Yes, I am. And I think that sex and connection have the power to heal or destroy depending on the intentions of the person wielding that. So, you know, we're going to discuss this more later on in some of the other episodes and I'll explain a little bit more about why I don't feel like the intention of the strip club is to belittle intimacy. Quite the opposite, actually. But... Anyway, we'll get to that. But what I was saying was that learning to ask for what you want during sex is one of the greatest things you can do for yourself and for your partner. And it's a great way to practice because this is already a person that you're comfortable with and that you trust enough to be naked with. So, you know, they're a great place to start, right? So if you don't assert what you like or don't like or whatever, then how are they going to know? And if you fake it or you lie, then you're just reinforcing the wrong things. And that's not going to do anybody any good. <laughs> They'll think they're doing it right. You're not going to be getting off. And eventually you're going to become resentful about it or withdrawn. And they won't understand why. Again, people are not mind readers. And most people will eagerly welcome some kind of guidance in the bedroom as long as it's constructive and supportive and it's not critical. So I want you to come and I want you to say, this is how I can do that. Cool. And vice versa. We can't be afraid to ask for what we want and what we need. It's no one else's responsibility to make us happy. It's our own. Only we know what we truly want and need. And like I said, if you don't ASK, you won't G-E-T. And I always want a G-E-T, that orgasm. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so kind of heavy stuff, I know, but, but important. It, it's very important and it's something that I'm passionate about. It, it really takes a long time for me it took a long time for me to get to where I am with that, with asking and with accepting no and with saying no, and I'm still not perfect, but I'm hoping that maybe my trial and error can kind of help you guys skip a few of those steps and get a little further down that line a little bit quicker than I did. But now let's do our stripper questions segment, if I can speak. I'm sorry, you guys, I'm fighting a cold a little bit, so the sniffles and all that, I apologize. But um, this is where y'all write in and ask me what you've always wanted to know or are curious about, and I do my best to answer it as entertainingly but truthfully as possible. So I got uh, two questions today. So the first one is, what's the deal with throwing money? Like, do you guys like that, or wouldn't you just rather I tip you with a big bill? Well, that's a good question, um, and it's actually one that I get a lot. It, it's interesting because it, it's usually the older guys that like don't get it, because the younger guys either don't really care, or that they assume that that's just like what you do, and that's a good enough answer for them. 
But all the same, like almost everything in the club, it's a subjective answer. I don't know exactly where the trend came from or whatever, probably hip hop videos or urban clubs, but just this, just the same. It's become kind of a quintessential strip club move, right? There's no better way to show off and show love than tossing a ton of ones in the air and watching them fall over your favorite girl. Well, there's a couple of different things going on here. So if you're asking me, would I rather you throw a hundred ones at me or slide a crisp Benjamin into my garter? I'd have to ask you some qualifying questions about that, such as like, what kind of club are we in? Is it a more urban club where that's the majority of the tipping going on and all the girls and all the customers kind of know the deal and they know the etiquette of how to handle that and there won't be any kind of drama or awkwardness? Or is it more of a gentleman's club where that would seem a little bit out of place? You know, my club is kind of a middle of the road kind of place. So it could go either way. Not, you know, but not all are. One, some are very much so one or the other. So it kind of depends on where you are. But I would also ask, like, what night is it? Is it a quiet Monday night where there's not a lot of people and I'm going to have to work the floor of predominantly older white men in town on business trips? Um you know, and I don't want the other girls to know how much money anyone is spending or not spending, you know, kind of keep that on the down low. Um, you know, in that case, then yeah, I'll take the Benji all day. But if it's Saturday and it's packed in there and I'm on stage and, you know, nothing really gets people's attention, like a ton of money going up in the air. It's interesting kind of like club psychology, but it makes sense. You know, when we see it raining, it gets their attention. They go, ooh, you know, who's that? She, she's got to be good or hot or whatever. It's like all the kids on the playground that want to play with the same toy because someone else already has it. So the same principle works for lap dances. If you're sitting at the bar by yourself, no one may even notice that you're really there. You know, or they don't, they're not going to want you because you're just kind of there quietly being very unassuming. But as soon as a table has you and you are dancing for them and they're having fun and they're spending money, all of a sudden you're the new it girl. You know, people want what other people want and what other people have. And the advantage of when people throw money is that they tend to not really have a great idea of how much they're throwing. So you can actually usually get more money out of people when they're throwing ones because they're just kind of aimlessly not paying a lot of attention, um, just kind of continually tossing money. And so that's that's always nice because sometimes that can add up a lot more than you think it, it, it did. Um, so do I want to get down on my old ass knees and scoop that shit up at the end of my set? Probably not. But is it you know, like a nice hundo in my garter more convenient and some would argue less degrading, maybe, but it, I think it's really about what you're trying to accomplish. You know, I don't feel degraded if you're throwing money at me, as long as you're spending money and you're being polite. Tipping is showing respect for my time and my effort. So that's what you're supposed to be doing. Just do not. And I repeat, please do not put money in your mouth and then want me to take it out with mine. I do not know where this came from or why it's still a thing or where girls do do this that makes people think it's a thing, but I feel bad for them if you do. And it royally like pisses me off and or like grosses me out and any other dancer that I know. Money is so dirty. Like think about all of it. Like just like think about it. Blood, semen, cocaine, piss, like any and every kind of fluid or substance that there is touches money. And you want to put that in your mouth? Like, have you ever counted money or change and then, like, looked at your hands and saw, like, that they're black? Yeah, no, no, no. So, uh, go ahead, but I'm not gonna. 
you know, women customers get so mad when you won't indulge this. And it's crazy. I, I, I don't know why they get so upset when you won't do it. They take it as like a personal slight against them. But I'm like, oh, no, 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 honey. It's not just for me. Like, I don't want you to do that either. <laughs> Um, but we'll talk about that more in the ladies episode, which is coming up soon. So stay tuned. Um, but also do not take a dollar or a couple dollars and then try to slap it on my ass. Besides the fact that you've literally just committed assault because you've now touched me without my consent. And yes, that is still a real thing because I do have rights, whether I'm in a club or I'm not, or I'm a stripper or I'm not, it doesn't matter because, you know, I, I still have rights and you know, it's dangerous because I could be in the middle of doing something and you just smack me and I fall and hurt myself, you know, plus it's also just like a real dick fucking move. <laughs> Touching's not allowed in my club at all. And you're going to, you can get me in trouble or yourself in trouble. And just because you put a dollar between your hand and my ass does not mean that you're not touching. <laughs> so just don't do that. <laughs> if you want to tip me and you want to show that you're impressed with my moves or whatever, then tip me like a normal person. Like don't smack me please. But yeah, so um, I hope that kind of answers your question. Um, I suppose every girl is a little bit different, but that's kind of my take on it. That's my reasons behind wanting something one way or another. But short answer is I don't mind either way. As long as you're spending money, I will take it. (laughs) Um, Second question is what's the hardest thing about stripping? Uh, And you know, this one took me a while to, to really articulate well. You know, people ask me this all the time and I know that they're expecting me to say something predictable, like something disgusting or demeaning, like nasty guys in the club or catty girls or how it's really hard on your mental health or your body or something juicy and scandalous like that, you know, and I could because there are a lot of things that I could explain that are difficult about being a dancer or that are maybe not the best parts of being a dancer. But honestly, the hardest thing for me as a dancer or I guess, you know, I guess being in the sex industry in general is the unbelievable amount of shame and judgment that people try to force onto you. It's, it's unrelenting. You know, it's one of those things that I'm sure there are other occupations that might have similar issues with people being weird and there's taboos and there's stigmas and there's kind of a ripple effect into their lives. But all I can really speak for is dancing because that's what I do. And I know that as a dancer, it comes up in every facet of my life. And it's just a constant knot that I have in my stomach about how this person's going to react if I tell the truth, how I'm going to feel about myself if I lie. It's it's not fair. You know, I, I can't. It's one of those things where it doesn't matter if I'm at a parent teacher conference or I'm at the grocery store or, you know, there's just so many interactions that you go through throughout your day that, you know, you might encounter a new person or be introduced to somebody or whatever. And small talk is going to be initiated. And, you know, what do you do? Is it, there's that, what do you do is, are you married? Do you have kids? You know, all that kind of general Rolodex of things that people ask you. And every time I'm thinking in my head, like, here it comes, here it comes. And I've got to make this judgment call of like, okay, how do I know this person? Am I going to see this person again? How is this person going to affect my life or not affect my life? And I got to decide based off of those things about whether or not I want to be 100% truthful or half truthful or completely lie or, you know, whatever I'm going to do. And then, like I said, it just it just makes me feel like crap because I'm a really, really honest and open person. Anybody that knows me at all 
knows or is around me <laughs> knows that you can ask me anything and I'll just tell you I, I don't like to feel ashamed I don't like to feel regret it's just not something that I'm good at and it's not something that I want I don't do things that I don't want to be able to talk about or that I don't that I want to re regret so it's hard because 99% of my life I live in a way that I don't have to lie I don't have to do that you know I don't need you I pay all my own bills I have a great relationship and I've reached the place where I don't have to make excuses for my decisions because I'm the only one responsible for them. And I love, I love that. And I'm so happy that I'm in a place in a time that yeah, I can do that. But the problem is that in a perfect world, we could all just scream from the rooftops whenever we felt something like, you know, I'm gay, I'm straight. I like aliens. I'm purple, whatever. I'm a stripper. I'm anything, you know, and it wouldn't matter, but it does matter. And that's what sucks. It's just the the hardest part about being a dancer is having to deal with the repercussions of your honesty with certain people. Because if I tell the truth, I, with somebody that I met, it's a complete stranger and I'm probably never going to see them again. So I say, you know what? I'm just going to tell them the truth. It doesn't matter what they think. It has no effect on my life. And I'm going to open this dialogue about the subject because, you know, that's the only way to get rid of stigma is to talk about it. So I'm going to tell them the truth. I'm going to tell them I'm a dancer and then I got to brace for impact. You know, I got to brace, I got to prepare for the shock on their face. Then that kind of moment of reckoning where they think it through, they kind of decide how they feel about it. And then they react back at you and they either react like, Oh, that's cool. You know, they're super uncomfortable with it and they immediately excuse themselves and want nothing else to do with me or they're uber supportive almost too excited like oh my gosh really and they're just so in your face and they have all these questions and it's really a positive experience which I, I love and I appreciate or it's some kind of combination of the two somewhere in between or even crazier still I get that someone that was like trying to save my soul you know like oh goodness honey why do you do that? You don't have to do that. It, it just becomes a never ending dialogue about something that should have just been a, a one word answer, you know, questions like that. What do you do? I'm a lawyer. Cool. You know, I, I never get to have that because of what I do. And it never gets to just have small talk and things just stay neutral and pleasant. And that be the end of it. It always has to turn into something else. And it, it's kind of exhausting. You know, I don't want to be a martyr. I, I don't want to have to be this Joan of Arc on the rampage to defend the sex industry all the time. But at the same time, I don't want to be unappreciative and shrill and ashamed of the decisions that I've made because I'm not. So it just becomes this delicate thing, you know, especially when it affects your life. You know, so like I've got kids, I've got three children and a husband. I've got two biological children and then I have a bonus kid and I, I like to call her my bonus kid because she's great and she's like my bonus. She's uh, my husband's daughter from his first marriage and they co-parent amazingly. They have a good relationship. They communicate well. Um, she knows, you know, the, his ex-wife knows all about what I do and all that. Not that she loves it, but she understands and she respects it. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm, I'm happy for my, my bonus daughter because, you know, she gets to have that really large family of everybody that's supporting her and everybody kind of, you know, being on the same side of wanting, you know, her life to be as good as it can possibly be. And I wish that that was more the case for my, my two daughters, but it just isn't. Um, but the relevant, part of the conversation is that, you know, I have to think about them and my decisions and my image and that having, you know, what I say has repercussions on them. If I'm at a gathering somewhere where, you know, my kids are, or my stepdaughter might be, or their friends are, or her mother or my husband's family, et cetera, et cetera. 
it's like six degrees of stripper bacon, right? You know, you have to take into consideration that my behavior and my honesty might affect them negatively. And that's just not fair to them because they didn't choose that. I did. So when I'm at my daughter's Girl Scout meeting and her troop leader and I are making small talk and she asked me what I do, is me telling her the truth going to affect my daughter's experience in that troop? Is it going to make it to where the other girls are weird around her or the moms are ugly to her or me or something like that? Is, is that something, it's something I have to think about and it's not fair because I don't want to have to lie to protect the people that I love from other people's bias and other people's small mindedness. But that's just the world we live in. And so that is the worst part about being a dancer for sure is not being able to talk about it, not being able to be open and comfortable about it because you might make somebody else uncomfortable. Uh, you might set off that Captain Save a switch or whatever it is. It, it just sucks. It stinks. And, you know, I want so badly to be able to just be like, oh, yeah, you know, this is what I do, whatever. No biggie. But people just won't let that be so that's kind of tough but it's also a great opportunity like I said to, to open a dialogue and to kind of get people's minds and their mentality changing because I see it happen all the time where I'm having a conversation with somebody and it's been going on for a while and we're talking about whatever we've got a banter going and I can tell that you know they like me or they respect me or we're getting along and then the question comes up and the wheels I get to see the wheels in their head kind of turn. I see the conflict within them like, wait a minute, you know, I've talked to this person for a minute. She seems smart. She seems sweet. And yet she's doing this thing that I thought was wrong or that I thought only dumb people did or however they're trying to reconcile it in their brain. And I see it really challenges people to think and to challenge their assumption and their stigma. And so maybe it, it is a good thing. You know, I'm out there doing the Lord's work, um, but it just doesn't always feel that way. And it's hard and it really sucks. Yeah. But let's see. So, uh, good news is it looks like we got a little extra time. So we're going to do a little bonus question, a real quick one. I got this question from some of my artwork. And when I was originally sourcing to name the podcast, I kind of sent out a couple of test ideas to a few people, a few friends to kind of get an idea of what I wanted to name the show. And one of the options was the shoe show. And a few people didn't understand the reference. They were like, uh, what's the shoe show? I don't get it. What does that mean? So basically, it's it's kind of like code, right? So when guys are talking about wanting to go to the strip club, they're like, hey, man, let's go to the shoe show because they're not wearing anything but their shoes. So essentially, you're going to see a show of naked women parading around in just their shoes. That's what the shoe show means. So it's just kind of funny. And it's a good like little play on words. And apparently, a lot of people don't know what it means. So I guess it's a decent code if that's what you're going for. So yeah, that is the answer to that. Okay, guys, looks like we made it through another episode of my ums and you knows. Um, and you braved my head cold and were very patient with my delay, so I appreciate you guys for that. But please, please, please be sure to like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the show. It really helps, especially in iTunes. The better your reviews and the higher up you get on the search engine. And it's already hard to get found because people are prudes and hate anything to do with being sexy. <laughs> so as my DJ says, you know, do your part, do your duty, and please do that. But don't forget, you guys can also call in to be part of the show and I might feature you you know your question or your comment on an upcoming episode you just got to go to anchor.fm slash b strips it down slash message and leave it there for me or you can email me at b strips it down at outlook.com or on instagram or facebook but until next time drink more water have great sex and go the fuck to sleep <laughs>